Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. Howdy, y'all. It's Album Nerds Podcast time. I'm Dude. I got my posse with me. <laughs> that sounds too much like Arsenio Hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to my posse over here. <laughs> I got uh, Andy and Don with me. Andy, how you doing, my friend? Ah, giddy up there, partner. Glad to be here. That was my southern accent. That's, yeah. That was very realistic. Thank you. Don. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Obviously, we're attempting to uh, fit into the theme of today's show. So here on the Album Nerds Podcast, we talk about albums. We love that album format. So we're talking about those albums. We're answering a question, and we're going to spin the wheel of musical destiny at the end of this episode to find out what we'll be talking about on the next one. But this week, y'all, we're talking about Hee Haw. That's what I'm talking about. So Hee Haw uh, was an American television variety show featuring country music and humor. It aired on CBS from 1969 to 1971 uh, and then was in syndication from 1971 to 1993. Then again on TNN, which was the Nashville network uh, from 1996 to 1997. It was hosted by country music artists Buck Owens and Roy Clark for most of its run uh, and was set in the fictional town of Cornfield County. Uh, <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, so, in addition to the the folksy humor and the and the music, uh, the show also featured the hee haw honeys, uh, which are basically mm -hmm. voluptuous women in stereotypical farmers' daughters outfits. And uh, yeah, prominent country music and country adjacent artists uh, uh, appeared on the show each week, uh, including people like Merle Haggard, Tammy Wynette, Johnny Cash, Charlie Pride, uh, and Loretta Lynn, who was on the show 24 times. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Um, so yeah, so today each of us will present an album from an artist who appeared on an episode of the variety show Hee Haw. Now I watched a lot of Hee Haw. It was on pretty regularly and people at school knew jokes from it and and I mean, it was around forever. Uh, I kind of f it faded off as my musical taste started to shape. I wasn't really a country fan, but the uh, Hee Haw Honeys and the the jokes and, and that was really the performances I wasn't so into. I liked the sketches. Uh, yeah, so, so many artists were on and I listened to a ton of albums. Those of note really that were close to my pick for the week were the Judds, Why Not Me, kind of groundbreaking in, in its subject matter, a mother-daughter combo, great vocals, and, and kind of in 1984, that new sound of country as it was shifting from that 50s, 60s, 70s um, sound. Randy Travis, Always and Forever, huge groundbreaking album in 1987 with the hit Forever and Ever, Amen. Uh, Roy Clark, playing the banjo. Uh, I listened to one of his banjo records, but just Johnny Cash, Waylon, Merle, Dwight Yoakam, George Strait, Hank Jr., Shelby Lynn. I, it got really, really, really yee-haw-ish up mm -hmm. in here over the past week. So how'd you guys do? Um, it was a little more of a challenge for me. I, I was definitely new to the show and, you know, definitely a bit of a novice with the, you know, 60s and 70s country. Um, so I steered more into the R&B and blues space. Listened to a good record from Brenda Lee from uh, late 60s called Reflections in Blue, kind of like a vocal jazz blues album, which was really good. And then kind of a concept album from Sammy Davis Jr. from the mid-60s called California Suite, which was really, really interesting. It had kind of like a storytelling vibe to it. It was... I almost went with that one. 
Yeah, how about you, Don? Uh, well, first, uh, you know, I certainly remember uh, Hee Haw growing up. I feel like it would come on after something I was watching, you know, like the Jeffersons or, or something in, in syndication, or it would come on after Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Um, <laughs> but it never stayed on for very long. I don't think my parents really, really cared for it. But uh, but I do re- remember it well. You know, what I as I was looking through like the list of, of artists who had appeared on it. You know, they didn't challenge their audience all that much. Like most of what you saw were were um, you know s- straight up country artists, great old Opry type type yeah. artists. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Andy did a good job of of kind of mining some others, and I tried to do the same. Uh, you know, so I, I listened to the the Linda Ronstadt record "Heart Like a Wheel" because she did appear um, on there, and that's a that's a really nice album. Uh, also, um, Charlie Pride uh, was on on the show uh, several times and um, I almost went with uh, his album uh, Burgers and Fries when I stop leaving I'll be gone it's a it, it's a really uh, nice record interesting it's like it has two title tracks <laughs> like I've never mm-hmm. seen that before where like the title of the album is two songs so that is strange yeah, <laughs> yeah. anyway <laughs> I'm looking forward to to talking about these albums but Particularly, Andy's perspective is going to be interesting throughout the show since he was not a hee-haw watcher. And uh, I I hope, Andy, that you watched at least one episode on YouTube to get a taste. Oh, dude, I, I got some taste. I, I have all I just I've also clips, but I have no idea how they all fit together in the context of the show. <laughs> but I have a good flavor for it, I think. So all right, why don't we get rolling? You choo choo choose me. Ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, Mr. Clarence Gatemouth Brown. All right, I'm going to kick things off with a very much uncountry record here from Clarence <laughs> Gatemouth Brown. I knew you'd find a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only non-country record ever featured on Hika. <laughs> All right, the album is All Right Again, came out in 1981. We are going to play a little clip from the opening cut. This is Frosty. Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) 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 So long, pretty baby, and I hope we'll meet again. Now, Andy, I think that this definitely fits. I mean, Clarence in most of his album covers is wearing a cowboy hat after all, so I think Mm -hmm. you're square. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he spent most of his life in Texas. Born in Louisiana, definitely has a southern feel to him. Uh, give you a little bit of background on Mr. Gatemouth here. <laughs> I don't think that's his. I don't think he's Mr. Gatemouth. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that's what Gatemouth. I call him. Sir he's Gatemouth. Mr. Here, right? <laughs> <laughs> and please, I hope in what you're about to tell us, the Gatemouth part uh, is covered because I got to know. Okay, yeah, so supposedly got the, the nickname from a high school teacher who said he had a voice like a gate, which is not a thing I've ever heard anyone ever say to anyone ever in my entire <laughs> no. life. But uh, I was told I had a voice like a cyclone fence, so I guess. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't know, I think he has a pretty nice voice. He does a yeah. lens vocals to a handful of tracks here. Uh, interesting sort of origin story for him. I mean, he was a musician from a young age, um, but the age of 23, he was in a nightclub seeing T-Bone Walker play on stage. One of his guitarists got sick and he stepped in and just uh, filled in for him on stage in the moment there. And uh, 
I guess I kind of propelled him on to some stardom locally, and then uh, he would become good friends with Roy Clark, who uh, was involved with Hee Haw, and that was how uh, he ended up on the show a couple times in the late 70s. Makes sense. I mean, Roy Clark was a guitar and banjo virtuoso, like one of his albums was called The Lightning Fingers of Roy Clark, so I imagine those performances were pretty electrifying. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance to see some of those, yeah. They played together a couple times on the show, and it's pretty, it's pretty fun, uh, yeah. loose, uh, energetic performance. But yeah, Gatemouth, uh, he was known for primarily his guitar uh, style, infused blues with a lot of country and jazz and R&B, and you hear like this big horn sound that he brings to a lot of his tracks here. Uh, my three words to describe this record are blues feeling all right, because this is probably one of the better, more happy, good vibe blues records I, I've heard in a while. It's turquoise. There you go. That's right. The <laughs> British head of blue. <laughs> and it fits with the Southwestern, you know, the necklaces and the That's bracelets with turquoise nice. in it. Yeah, totally. All right, let's play a little bit from Baby Take It Easy. Charlie Daniels band kind of yeah. right there. Yeah, so that's uh, that's Gatemouth uh, showing off his uh, his fiddle playing. That's really him. It's not yeah. another. Wow. Uh, well, that's my that's my belief anyway. Um, <laughs> well, by the way, for like a Grammy winning um, album, there's like so little information on the internet uh, oh, no. about it. <laughs> I need a Wikipedia page for it. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that track was uh, supposedly composed by a, a Don Roby, who was uh, kind of a record company guy executive um but yeah so uh i was surprised uh to find out that 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 um actually is Gatemouth playing the fiddle uh and just like his guitar playing it's like he breaks the rules you know it's those are not you know traditional like fiddle sounds you know just a very aggressive style yeah but uh you know it it, it really works how many bows do you think he went through yeah <laughs> <laughs> at first i wondered if he was using a bow on a guitar you know, kind of like Jimmy Page did, uh, yeah. yeah. But no, but I think that was a that was the fiddle. Uh, so the three words I, I chose to describe the album were bold, multifaceted fusion. So as I said, you know, I, I get the sound, uh, the sense that that he's uh, kind of a rule breaker. So even though he's known as a, a as a blues musician, you know, I don't think he, you know, just he he branched out, you know, he, so he would in, incorporate elements of, of country and jazz and, and Cajun and R&B into his music. So, you know, he did not want to be, you know, I think pigeonholed, you know, into, into one genre. So yeah, good job, Andy. Uh, and, you know, finding a, a really uh, interesting record. I, I loved it. Uh, and, you know, in the album, it's, it's kind of all over the place, you know, you know, some songs are, are more just, you know, kind of traditional, you know, blues guitar uh, and others, you know, have more of like an R&B feel and there's, the, the horns yeah it's just a you know it's a it's a great album yeah you, you hinted on that, that sort of like cajun feel to some of these songs in here which was not something i've really ever heard before in, in blues like that sort of new orleans jazz vibe is is very much present here which i think is kind of interesting yeah you're right though he plays fiddle very well he also plays mandolin viola violin harmonica and drums in addition wow. to guitar very versatile guy Let's play another cut from the end of the record. This is Gate Walks to Board. All 
All right, so like that song, it's just so weird. It's such a weird blend of things. You know, it's jazz, but the blues, and I like that interplay of the horns and the guitar. It's like a call and response thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I didn't really know how to take this album. I mean, I loved it. I enjoyed it, but I'd get, I'd kind of just wasn't sure what its identity was. Uh, the three words I used to describe it were down home blues. Because it's got that down-home country feel, but those jazz elements are what throw me for a loop, I think. You know, I like, it's it's almost rock and roll. I mean, that's, rock and roll is a mix of, of, of country and blues. It's those jazz elements that throw a, a wrench in the works, but that sax stuff kind of sounds like 50s rock and roll, you know? I I really love country blues like Taj Mahal and artists like that. So I, I kind of prefer that more simple stripped down sound, but this was a lot of fun to listen to and and uh it fits with Hee Haw. Like he fits that I think at the base of it with Hee Haw, it was a celebration of country music. And there was a very specific group of people watching that show, right? Not all of America was into it. That's why it was in syndication, not on network TV every night. But it was fun. It made country music seem fun as a kid watching it. And this guy fits in completely with that feel. Mm -hmm. There's a celebratory celebration of music and life and experience in the way that he's able to sing and play. You can tell there's a passion and a love for, for what he's doing. And I really picked up on that and appreciated it. And Andy, once again... You struck oil. Like you find these these things because you don't like what we're talking about and you did great. <laughs> 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 Something yeah, that technically true. fits and you did you did well. In uh, technicality. No, but I think you're right though. That that spirit that he has, that lightheartedness and just the ease about him when he's performing, I think really fits nicely on the show. And yeah, I mean it helps being a talented musician too. But yeah, once once again, the album is Clarence Gatemouth Brown's All Right Again! Exclamation point. Definitely deserved. Uh, check it out if you're interested in some good, uh, good take on blues, country, jazz thing. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. It's that time again where we ask ourselves a question. So American television was once full of variety shows like Hee Haw and Dottie and Marie and the Madrell sisters and God, I think even Johnny Cash had one. They've largely disappeared, except for maybe holiday specials that have that kind of feel. What current types of television do you hope will be obsolete in the future as variety shows are now? (laughs) (laughs) That question takes a dark turn at the end there. It does, doesn't it? Uh, you thought we were going to talk about our favorite variety shows, but... Uh, oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> well, first off, I would say I kind of missed the variety show wave that you guys are talking about in like the 70s and 80s. I would love to see that come back. Like, I think there's some value in having a mix of different types of media, like even just seeing like comedy next to performance art or music or whatever. I think it's cool. Um but even just having a good variety of like different types of music next to each other, I think is would be nice. Yeah. But yeah, you know, uh, talking about like modern day television, things that bother me. I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of these like specials on the History Channel of like you know uh, ancient aliens or 
about something, some type of like pseudoscience or some conspiracy theory that people are trying to propagate on, you know, cable television or Netflix or whatever. I watched, wasted my time with a handful of those things over the years. I just kind of bothers me that that has become such a prevalent form of inner pseudo, it's entertainment, I guess, but there's also this element of science to it. Then yeah, I don't know, I kind of take uh, exception with that. <laughs> Wasn't there one about mermaids? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but just the guys of calling that science or or based on reality, I guess, bothers well, it me a little bit. It depends on the source, right? So if something is on, let's say, I don't know what channels exist anymore, but let's say Spike TV still existed and there was a, a documentary <laughs> series on that, you take it with a grain of salt right mm -hmm. but if it's on the history channel it gets a little more you feel uh, like oh it's on the national geographic channel it's on the history channel it must be this has got to be legit right 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 no matter no matter how many things they splash up on the screen that says this is all theoretical blah, blah, you know <laughs> right right uh well for the record my favorite uh variety show would probably be the muppet show yeah that um, counts oh nice uh, but for uh yeah for this question um i mean there's a lot of i mean I, there's so many answers because i i don't really care for a lot of modern television other, other than um you know some of the things that are streaming but uh, i'll go with i guess my number one answer would be like just cable news like the 24-hour mm. news networks and i mean i have one in particular that, that i would <laughs> wish would go away but actually i mean all of them can can yeah. go away you know whatever end of the political spectrum it is i just think it's toxic People, you know, will just have it on all day. Uh, and I think yeah. if you're just being, if you're just getting that messaging over and over, the, I, I just can't imagine having a positive outlook on life. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like news to me, but. No, it's I, propaganda. You know, and, 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 but I, CNN made it happen. I mean, CNN, wow, news all the time. This is great. But it's a whole day, right? Yeah. Like, how do you fill that day? So then you got to start finding stuff that isn't really news or you report stuff too soon because you, you want to be the first one to report it. And then once it's out there, you can't take it back, even though you say you take it back, but people have already seen it and believe what they saw. So yeah, it is. It's weird. I, yeah, I'm not really I would, a fan. So toxic. So I would toxic. take Walter Cronkite back or Dan Rather when there was just like, you know, three people an hour three people that would give you the news and those are the three you trusted <laughs> but yeah. now i sound like a boomer even though i'm a gen xer yeah so speaking of sounding like a boomer reality shows <laughs> okay like that's what i would get rid of like i mean there's some value to semi-documentary stuff of learning about people's real lives like i get that but it's become more and more staged and produced. And it's just the influence of the people who are in them, like super rich people living their super rich lives and then making regular people feel like that's what they should be reaching for. It's, it's the power that those people have to drive a brand or to say, oh, okay, well, yeah, shoes are great. They protect your feet. But you better get the nine thousand dollar shoes, or you're not cool. It's like, why should shoes be nine? Like, why? <laughs> shoes should be nine dollars. Yeah, there's the boomer. Yeah, yeah. Like when the first when the reality show boom happened, there was some interesting stuff going on. But what it's become, become, yeah, is is not for me. You should just call it like influencer television instead of reality yes. television. So what about y'all? 
Do you have some more progressive ideas than us uh, fogies here? What do you think? What types of television do you hope become obsolete in the future? Albumnerds.com slash Discord. Now here's George Jones, Roy Clark, the whole hee-haw gang, and pickin' and grinning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so my pick uh, for someone who appeared on Hee Haw, uh, actually uh, appeared several times, uh, it's uh, George Jones, and uh, the album is I Am What I Am, uh, released in uh, September of 1980. This is actually one of his uh, most famous songs. This is called He Stopped Loving Her Today. I think I shared with you guys uh, off mic that uh, I was actually at the at the gym uh, one day, you know, pumping iron as I do, um, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm listening on headphones to to that song, and all of a sudden, I like towards the end, I, I just got like really choked up, and I thought I was gonna like start <laughs> sobbing uh, in the middle of the the gym. <laughs> Oh man, dude! I give you credit for even being at the gym listening to this music. It's not, yeah, yeah. Not, that, not is, that is that is not iron pumping music. What were you doing? Just like on setting two on the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing half a mile an hour. <laughs> Uh, so that song was written by uh, Bobby Braddock and uh, Carly uh, Putman. Just, you know, kind of a, you know, interesting country music narrative. So the guy, you know, tells the woman, you know, I'll, I'll love you till I die. You know, they break up and he pines for her his whole life and then he dies and that's the day he stops loving her. Oh, I couldn't figure out what oh, the- Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't- Jeez. Oh man! That's okay, dark. yeah. Now yeah. I get it. Yeah. Now, yep, yep. Here come the tears. Yep. And she <laughs> visits him. You know, she goes to his funeral. And stuff oh like and God! Okay, I kept listening to it and being like, "What do you mean? Stop loving you today?" Like, yeah. Now it all makes sense. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's uh, it's written in the third person. You know, so it's an observer watching it, and he's like, uh, "You know, I haven't seen him smile in years." And of course, he's dead, lying in a casket. Um, so, you know, kind of a little country music darkness, which, uh, oh, which I like. That's perfect for you, man. What? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, actually, um, so George Jones, well, by the way, he's kind of, he was like the country music king throughout the 60s and 70s. Just, I, I think he had like 160 songs chart, um, either, you know, on his own or, or with uh, his wife, Tammy Wynette. So, you know, he was, you know, really big, but he, his career was uh, sort of in a, a, a tailspin. Uh, and he was also just a severe alcoholic, and he was getting in trouble. And yeah, wasn't there domestic abuse stuff with him and Tammy Wynette? I mean, yeah, there's actually a there's a, a mini series on Showtime right now, George and Tammy. That's ah, that's worth right, watching. Right. Um, so you can you can get a lot of that uh, a lot of that stuff. But this song, you know, in 1980, resurrected his career. But he apparently did not see the you know, the gold in it. So the, the producer of this album and the guy who produced most of uh, George Jones work uh, is a guy named Billy Sherrill. And he would pick songs that would, you know, kind of fit uh, George Jones, you know, like, so it, they all seem like something he would, he would write. Yeah, or, a lot of cheating and drinking. Yeah. Which <laughs> I think he did a lot of both. <laughs> um, so he, he picked this song for, for George and George is, is like, uh, you know, it's too sad and depressing. The, the quote was, nobody will buy that morbid son of a bitch. But, <laughs> uh, of course, uh, George Jones was, was wrong. Uh, and it was a, it was a huge hit. The, the three words I, I chose to describe the album were just simple. Simple, direct, and and powerful. 
it is what it is. It's, it's, you know, sort of in that country music tradition going back to like Hank Williams, you know, singing about, I mean, generally kind of very sad topics, you know, the sort of the dark side of life, but there's something about the way George Jones sings, you know, that has soul to it. And, you know, like when I think of country music, you know, I think of white guys in stupid outfits and it's like the antithesis of soul, you know, but, but when country music is done right, it has a lot of soul. And I, and I think somehow this record has, has soul to it. Well, let's, uh, let's try to find some, some soul in some of these other tracks. Uh, here's one called If Drinkin' Don't Kill Me, Her Memory Will. If Is that the Statler Brothers guy in the <laughs> harmony there? That'll kill me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it was, but uh, don't ever do that again. It's, it's scary. <laughs> kill me. Yeah, so that song, um, it kind of, it really feels like he gets that one. You know, uh, uh, he was well known for his cocaine addiction and 30 year drinking problem. He'd miss shows. He'd be in high speed chases, <laughs> what gosh. Uh, be inebriated at, at, uh, award shows, stumbling around and falling out of his car, that kind of stuff. So that's what I knew about him as a kid. Like I just, I had a bad impression of him when on Hee Haw and stuff. Cause I knew he had done like gotten drunk and been not nice to his wife and all that kind of stuff. I knew that much. But for songs like this, he he nails it, right? Because he gets it, and I don't I don't know how he was able to sing these songs and not start crying like Don at the gym and be like, "Dude, I got to do something about this," you know. <laughs> yeah. So that song, uh, I think, was large. It was written by Harlan Sanders and and Rick Beresford. I think uh, again lost his woman, and uh, whether. She left him or, or died, I, I suspect died in this scenario, but drinking to, to try and forget about her, but either way, he's going to die because he can't stand life without her. And, and that's, again, what Don was getting to, where the country music can do really well when it's done right, is capture that sadness in a way that you're like, <clears throat> it catches your breath. The three words I used to describe this album were old becomes new. The era of big strings and orchestras and all of that in country music that was largely in the 60s and into the 70s, and then the, the, the uh, outlaw stuff kind of came in to play. He, this album does a good job of capturing a little bit of both. Like It sounds like 1980 modern country, starts embracing some of the more modern sounds and tropes, but still sounds like George Jones, stripped down a little bit, but using the strings and stuff well like on uh he stopped loving her today that string swell oh yeah that's part of what kicks you in the nethers when you're listening to the song yeah. that elevates the the emotion and it was just done really well so uh another great thing is these albums of this era country albums in particular the songs are three minutes or so you get through them Oh, he cheated on her. Nope, she's cheating on him. Oh, the next one, he's drunk. Nope, now she's drunk. <laughs> so it was nice. I enjoyed it. Great. Well, let's uh, let's uh, move on to a, a, another cut. This is his loving her is getting in my way. In my way. I don't want to have to jerk his beard out of what I made. Well, he's a time, he's a growing shorter day by day. 
Yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, I've never heard a, a threat of wanting to beat a dude up being, being uh, communicated in. I'm gonna jerk his beard out. Like, <laughs> Sometimes you gotta jerk the beard, man. It's, it gets to a point. <laughs> that needs to be a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, uh, surprisingly, even to myself, you know, we had an extra week to listen to this record unusual and not unlike in the past with some of don's picks this one really grew on me after a while my three words are not really three words but i hate to say i like it but i may i kind of i kind of like this record it was pretty fun it's simple but memorable and i i totally agree about george's performance here i found it very charismatic i didn't know a lot of his personal background or all that stuff we were talking about but purely from a music standpoint i found him quite enjoyable and likable I mean, the songs are super tragic and, and dark, and they're really either about lo- love that you've lost or love that you're in the process of losing, it seems. Uh, but he works really well in that, in that space. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like traditional country meets honky-tonk of the, of the 80s sort of vibe, I guess. Super clean in terms of the production. But I think it works, man. He really carries the record, his vocal I really loved it. I almost went with the last track on here, Bone Dry, which makes a lot more sense. Kind of like quitting drinking. Uh, I guess that was probably a thing he thought about a lot. But I thought that was a really strong close to the record. Yeah, I, I like the, he's just talking about Bone Dry, and then the chorus of dudes going, Bone Dry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they repeat that quite a bit. <laughs> it's simple, but memorable. Yes, it is. By the way, uh, not this album cover, but uh, if you look at some George Jones album covers from like the 60s and stuff, he's got like that that flat top uh, and he looks like Jim Carrey's character in Me, Myself and Irene. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? yeah. He looks like really? a spitting image of, of him. Well, on this album cover, though, ooh, that sweet late 70s, early 80s, giant oh, butterfly man, collar on collar. his. Holy cow. Huge lapels on the jacket and huge colorful shirt with, a, like, he could fly away with the butterfly collar on that thing. <laughs> I think they call that peacocking. <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Uh, okay, so that was George Jones uh, with the album I Am What I Am. Hey, Johnny, is your marriage a happy one? Yep, we've been married several years and we've never had a fight in our house. Hey, that's wonderful. Yeah, we always go out in the yard. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we certainly hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. And here's our special guest, a talented up-and-coming new star. That handsome hunk in a hat, Garth Brooks. He is a handsome hunk in a hat, isn't he? Andy, I'm looking at you. Uh, I mean, you talking about yourself, man? No, Garth Brooks. Yeah. What's that, Garth Brooks, you say? Yeah, Garth Brooks. Let's <laughs> talk about him. So I went with something from the later period of Hee Haw as it was coming to a close, uh, its original run anyway. And Garth was an up-and-coming country artist, and I, th- I think probably grew up on the show. I'm watching it, and uh, his appearances, I think, were kind of, like he was on the last episode of Hee Haw. I think it was kind of like... The new era of country was coming and media was changing and we didn't need hee-haw anymore, but thanks for the memories. So why don't we uh, listen to a little bit of The Thunder Rolls from Garth Brooks' No Fences. 
thunder rolls and the lightning strikes. Another love grows cold on the sleepless night. So, Garth Brooks, born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 1962. He grew up listening to a wide range of music, country, rock, pop, and it kind of shows, particularly in this, his second album, No Fences. You know, he grew up being a fan of Kiss and Queen and George Jones and Merle Haggard. And uh, I love that. I think that's, uh, I think that's, that was kind of what was starting to happen in this era, artists of, of di- different genres, gr- not growing up on just that genre alone. Hmm. So No Fences being his second album, released August 27, 1990, produced by Alan Reynolds, mix of traditional country with some rock influence tracks. It spent 23 weeks at the top of the Billboard country chart, um, hit singles like Thunder Rolls, but Friends in Low Places, Unanswered Prayers, Two of a Kind Working on a Full House. Huge album. Changed the face of country music, changed the types of people that would listen to country music. Uh, the three words I used to describe the album, country fried stadium rock. There you and, go. Uh, it, Sounds delicious. <laughs> those, uh, those influences like Kiss and stuff. His stage show was enormous. The songs on this record have that brash bravado and sound like stadium rock with a little twang on them and a lot of rodeo references. When you hear that name, Garth Brooks, guys, is it like, are you, it's thumbs up or thumbs down in your brain? <laughs> I think that'll become pretty clear shortly. Um, I think of him as just kind of being like the, the popular face of country music in like the early 90s for me, I guess, is what I, you make country like more mainstream or more radio friendly, I guess, at least in the northern half of the country. Yeah, I kind of the, I mean, that's what I think of uh, as well. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was the country star uh, in in the '90s, and so I wouldn't say thumbs up or thumbs down. Maybe thumbs sideways. And Cisco Leader <laughs> occasionally do that because they, they wouldn't commit. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we listen to another track? Here's a little bit of Mr. Blue. Yeah, I really kind of found myself enjoying that song in particular. I guess that track and um, Friends in Low Places listed out to me. I guess they're both written by a guy by the name of Dwayne Blackwell. I don't know, something about the quality of those two tracks stood out to me. The three words I used to describe this record are chasing livestock gets old quick. (laughs) Okay. A reference to the album title, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is like a perfect recipe for success, in my opinion. Like you have like honky conk country sound, cross it over with a little bit of pop and rock, and you get this Garth Brooks record. And you know, it does that, I guess, pretty well. It just for me, it just, it just doesn't. I'm not a fan. And doesn't really make right. me a fan, I guess. And it's largely due to just the the overly dramatic nature of the ballads, which is a surprisingly large amount of this record. I just don't, I don't really get the emotion there. Like, I never really feel it from Mr. Brooks. So it made me hard to really get into this record too much. I, I think a lot of it is just like the the twang in his voice, which I guess is always an element of country music that I guess caught up on. It's just something unsettling about that <laughs> to me at a deep fundamental level. He uses it to very, I think, dramatic effect. I mean, I think he, he uses it as 
exclamation points on things that he's saying in the songs. Uh, there's that twang in, in Mr. Blue that you're talking about. I think his voice sounds really good on that particular track. Very, yeah. very clean. You can really hear his singing voice and and how good it can be. But Andy, what about the thunder rolls? I mean, that song starts with the dramatic thunder crashing and stuff and the story yeah. about coming home to you know he's been he's been gone for hours the wife is worried that he's hurt but it turns out he's been cheating and the thunder storm thunder. that's happening but that within uh-huh. there <laughs> exactly but that's that rock and roll bravado that's that you know hearkening to that sound to me it sounds a little uh bob seeger turn the page ish mm-hmm. yeah um, yes but the thunder and, and lightning within a relationship that can occur, and even that song doesn't doesn't tickle any tail feathers yeah. for you. There's nothing <laughs> for me. No, I found that to be one of the more cheesy sort of melodramatic songs on the record. Tickled your gag reflex. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I I don't want to feel like I shit on your picks every week, man. <laughs> it's getting old. Well, you know that I you know I. I kind of expect you to. I mean, that's I think that's part of my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Here, I feel bad about it, but you're specifically torturing me with these. Okay. No, I, I'm I'm making a concerted effort for you to be the bad guy to our audience. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, let's make uh, Andy gag a little bit more. Why don't we listen to Wolves? About the ones the wolves pulled down. Yeah, not quite as good as Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. No. Spooky, scary. (laughs) So Wolves uh, is actually a a sad song. Um, I'm not sure if you could tell that it was kind of sad. A sad song written by uh, Stephanie Davis. Basically, it's about people who fall behind, right? So it's like that livestock um, thing that Andy referred to. You know, so when... I guess certain cattle fall behind and the, you know, the wolves get them. So it's a, you know, it's a metaphor for, you know, for people, um, you know, needing help when they fall behind. So I, you know, I found that song, um, as the closing cut to be, uh, you know, kind of moving. Uh, my bowels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, so the, the three words, uh, I picked were, um, country bubblegum. I'm not sure what, would that be hubba bubba? Is that kind of <laughs> I think it'd be big league chew. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but hubba bubba did have the commercials with the cowboy. Yeah. Big bubbles, right. no troubles. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a, it, it's an incredibly catchy album. You know, I remember like the, the first time I, I listened to it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is all very catchy. Uh, you know, I like this. But then I found as I, I listened to it more and more, I was, you know, not really moved by it. So I, you know, I guess I'm, I, I understand what, what Andy's, uh, you know, where Andy's coming from. But, you know, all these songs, I, I don't have an issue with any of the songs, but I don't know. There, there's just something missing, I guess as a whole and i don't know i mean i feel like garth brooks doesn't have a persona and so i i feel like you know your your big country music heroes like your outlaws and a george jones they kind of have like a, a persona you know a character that that they're playing and i'm not really sure what garth brooks's character is and maybe it's because you know he's trying to be more of a crossover artist he doesn't want to be you know the outlaw or the drunk you know he's oh, i'm drunk in this one i'm i'm uh you know i'm <laughs> 
singing about cattle here or people right. suffering here. I'm singing about Jesus in this one. Yep. Right. So I feel like maybe you know his identity isn't quite as as clear as as some other country artists. I mean, he does he has a nice voice, but it it's not really like a distinct voice. I'm not even sure quite how to articulate that, but it it is a pleasant voice, but I yes. think what he does like on Two of a Kind Working on a Full House, which is a fun, upbeat song about using poker references to talk about a family. You got two people, you have three kids or full house, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, Just waiting for it. <laughs> yes. But he uses, like in that song, he uses that little grindy thing. I mean, when this album came out, my dad played it constantly, a cassette. I thought it was garbage. I hated it. I thought every moment of it, was terrible except i liked thunder rolls secretly but he even though it's almost comical in some ways some of the things he's doing in some of the songs it's entertaining somehow and i think that's what i've come to the difference i see it now i was entertained throughout the record every time tapping my toes enjoying the sound uh songs like wild horses were interesting to me although he was never a rodeo guy i was a little disappointed that he was not an actual rodeo roper guy because that song is such a great turn on the whole wild horses can't drag me away from you in this case they can because i would rather be in the rodeo than be stuck with you is what it comes down (laughs) to you know Mm -hmm. so i thought there were some clever things on here it captures all that country stuff especially of the late 80s early 90s the rodeo and friends in low places of course you still hear that any if you're ever at a bar it gets played on the jukebox and everybody sings and i love the story of that too showing up at your ex's wedding grabbing some champagne and <laughs> turning yeah, it into your own party <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah i i don't know i i i went from hating it to never listening to it since then until uh recently here and and uh i enjoyed it so that was garth brooks no fences you made another and you was gone hee-haw so uh i guess the the question what did we learn here is this is it hee-haw or he-naw was there <laughs> oh, any value <laughs> was, there, was there any value <laughs> In uh, in this collection, this 20-year or whatever show that, that brought these artists together, although, as we mentioned earlier, that's, I think, the thing I learned most was it was pretty tight in terms of the scope of what, what you were experiencing musically in particular. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's kind of the only real shortcoming. I mean, I loved that show. I thought it was fun as a kid. But if they had brought on Eric Clapton or something to play guitar, that... I, I wish there had been a little bit more of that. I heard but, they were trying to get Elvis on for a while. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn that, Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah, getting in the way, everything fun. Yeah, I totally agree. It would be nice to have more variety. Hopefully we pulled out some of that on the show today. But I think what stuck with me most just in watching clips of the show is just how lighthearted and fun and like everybody's just goofing around. And like you see these artists that are, you know, obviously very talented and have huge careers of their own. And they're just coming on there and just making like really bad puns and just making like silly goofs and, you know, doing that little silly song at the beginning of each show where they just like make a raspberry. And that's, that's pretty funny. You know, like just seeing people who you respect and 
other walks of life just coming on the show like this and just being a total goofball. I think I would really like that as a kid. It kind of, it, it reminds me, I, I've always looked at the the country music part of the, the industry as being like really unified and, and kind of like a, a, a tight knit community. So, I mean, with the exception of like Elvis and, and some people, I, it seems like everybody was on that show, um, like the biggest artists. Even today, you know, uh, country music is really good at getting all their artists to show up at their like 15 award shows. <laughs> like, I feel like every country music bill is like four deep with, with like our artists you, you've heard of. Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, rock has been more, you know, disparate. You don't have that, that sort of, you know, unified promotion of the of the genre and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's less genre subgenre reliant i think yeah no that's that's definitely true they all want to play the opry yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah. that's one to grow on <laughs> <laughs> we're keeping that i'm your density i mean your destiny All right, boys and girls, come in out of the cornfield and gather around the wad bot wheel of musical destiny. Let's give it a spin. You know the old saying, never judge a book by its cover. It is rubbish. This week, I am asking you to judge albums by their covers. Your musical destiny is to explore albums you are drawn to, based on the artwork. Judge it by the cover. So albums are known for the music, but of course they're known for their iconic artwork and the covers on those albums. So we're going to be exploring albums with that we might make a decision on based on the cover, or or perhaps it's a widely celebrated cover like Sgt. Pepper and all the inc- intricacies that are in that cover. So uh, that should be an interesting way to <laughs> approach records. Reminder, still voting is open for Sweet Baby James and Face Value. So if you want to vote for Phil Collins and uh, James Taylor, make sure to do so on the Albumers Discord, albumers.com slash Discord, and our website, albumers.com. Okay, what's your favorite album cover? Who's your favorite guest on Hee Haw? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at albumnerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with those album covers you can hear. Can't wait to see all about that. We'll see you next week on Hee Haw! Wow, that was embarrassing. I thought.